Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to episode 36 of Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, where we look at mysteries both from the twin perspectives of faith and reason. In this episode, we're talking about the mystery of Skinwalker Ranch. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today is Jimmy Akin. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. So Skinwalker Ranch is not a place in San Francisco where they make Star Wars movies. That's that's Skywalker Ranch. Skywalker Ranch. (laughs) Skinwalker Ranch is a mysterious location in southeastern Utah. A phenomenal number of weird events have been reported there of many kinds. Um, And it's also been scientifically studied. So what's happened there and what did scientists find when they studied it? And that's what we'll be talking about today on Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World. But before we get to that, I do want to point out that uh, for the second week in a row, this is a patron-selected topic, uh, the second one this month. Uh, And Jimmy, could you remind us how this all came about? Yeah, so every month we give our supporters on Patreon an option. of We give them like four possible choices of what would you like to have us do this month for one of our episodes. And this month there was a tie. Uh, the Copper Scroll and Skinwalker Ranch got exactly the same number of votes. Uh, I, I knew that you had been rooting for the Copper Scroll to be done this month. I was rooting for Skinwalker Ranch to be done this month. And since they came in as, an, as a tie, rather than break the tie... I said, let's do them both. That way you and I both get what we want. Um, And so uh, last week for you and all the people who wanted the Copper Scroll, we did uh, the Copper Scroll. This week for me and all the people who wanted Skinwalker Ranch, we're doing Skinwalker Ranch. Excellent. So let's let's start with the uh, the name uh, Skinwalker Ranch. Sounds kind of creepy. So what is a Skinwalker? A skinwalker is a con skinwalkers are a concept from the legends of various Native American tribes and elsewhere in the world. But the term specifically comes from like Navajo uh, folklore. Uh, it, they're also believed in by the Utes and Hopi and and other um, tribes here in the American West. Basically, a skinwalker is a malevolent male witch, so a warlock that is able to transform themselves into different shapes. So that's what the legend is. The reason that Skinwalker Ranch is called that is because it's in a particular area. It's in the Uinta Basin in Utah, where the local tribes believe that there is a valley where a skinwalker has lived for several hundred years. And and nobody goes to this valley. You're like not allowed to go there. And also the ranch is thought to be in the path of the skinwalker. And so uh, Native, uh, you know, Native Americans also in the area don't go want to don't want to go to Skinwalker Ranch. And there have been lots of weird things reported there and elsewhere in the Uinta Basin. It's not just Skinwalker Ranch, but that seems to be kind of the epicenter except for maybe the Skinwalker Valley. Uh, the ranch seems to be kind of the epicenter of all of this. Um, I've been aware of Skinwalkers for some time. When I was a boy, I had a book about Skinwalkers, but that was more about the legend, you know, the legendary male witches and and other similar things. 
um, not about the ranch specifically. Right. And lots of cultures have stories of people who are able to change. Yeah. Like change. werewolves and things like that is Japanese basically a kind of. Yeah. Yeah. The the um, the deal, though, with skinwalkers is unlike werewolves, they can transform into many different shapes. And unlike werewolves, they this isn't a reluctant thing. It's like it's not a curse. It's something they train to do in the legends. So you had a book about skinwalkers. But when did mm -hmm. you first hear about Skinwalker Ranch? I think it was around 1997. Uh, 1997 was when, and we'll talk about this more, but that was when the scientific investigations of the ranch began. And I think I remember, I, I think that was the time I learned about it. I remember I learned about it listening to the Coast to Coast AM show because they were talking about how how the new scientific initiative had been launched and what they were going to be studying and stuff like that. So what is the, the basic story of Skinwalker Ranch? Well, it's divided into different phases. There's sort of a pre-1950s phase where basically the the Ute and I, I think also Navajo legends associated with the place uh, talked about how there's a skinwalker near there. The ranch is in its path. You don't want to go there. Bad stuff can happen. And then in the 1950s, a family named Myers uh bought the property, and they owned it from the 1950s to 1994. And they haven't really gone public. The The people who lived there, at least the mother and father, are now passed on. Uh, the mother passed on in 1994. And so we don't know a whole lot about that period. We do know that when the new owners, who we'll talk about in a minute, when they bought it, they were kind of surprised in the in like the the deed in the contract. It said you can't dig on the property without getting our permission. And this was like a clause that's not in normal, you know, de bills of uh, deeds of sale for the area. Also, in the 60s and 70s. So this was during the Myers period. There were loads of local UFO sightings. Uh, in and around the Uinta Basin. Then in 1994, a family um, bought the property. Uh, the name of the family will appear differently in different sources. In a book that's the best book on the subject, it's called The Hunt for the Skinwalker. Um, and we'll have it linked in the show notes. and We'll talk about it more. But in The Hunt for the Skinwalker, the family is called the Gormans, but this is to protect their privacy. If you do any research at all on the Internet, their actual name will appear. And I debated what to call them on this show because I tend to want to respect people's privacy wishes. Um, so if they prefer to use a pseudonym, I my native instinct is to go with that. But in this case... I mean, as soon as you Google anything, you're going to come across their real name. And also, I, for, according to one source I've I've been exposed to, they like decided after that enough time has passed, they're comfortable with their real name being used. And so, so, um, uh, so their actual name is not Gorman; it's Sherman. So if you if you read the book. You're going to read about Tom Gorman, but in real life, he's Terry Sherman. And 
And I hope they don't mind that. That's the best information I have. And like, as soon as you Google it, you're going to find their real name anyway. In fact, it's mentioned in a documentary that we're also going to talk about uh, by Jeremy Corbell in, in archival footage of from news reports from the 1990s. You know, they're being referred to as Terry and Gwen instead of Tom and the name for his wife in the book. So you're going to hit that name anyway. So anyway, they they bought it in 1994. They lived there for about 18 months until 1996. And in 1996, they gave an interview to the Deseret News or Deseret News. I'm not sure how it's pronounced in Utah, um, where they talked about what was going on at the ranch. And they gave that interview because it was getting very uncomfortable for them. They didn't know what was happening and they were hoping for an explanation. They were hoping to sell the property. They wanted to get out of there. And at that point, the next phase of the ranch's history began when an organization called NIDS uh, bought the place in order to do scientific studies on the phenomena that are reported at the ranch. And NIDS owned the property for 20 years. They owned it from 1996 to 2016. And then they sold the property to another company who is the current owners. So we go from the Native American phase to the Myers phase to the Gorman Sherman phase to the NIDS phase and now to the current phase. And so who are the Gormans? I mean, did you cover that? Is there any more to know about them? Yeah, there's a little bit more to know about them. So like a lot of people in the area, they're Mormons. They're not particularly religious. So they're what are called, I gather, I gather they're what are called Jack Mormons. Uh, Jack Mormons are kind of like fallen away Catholics. You know, they're Catholic, but they don't really practice. And at least at the time, that's what uh, the Shermans seem to be. Um, they also, uh, so uh, Mr. Sherman or Mr. Gorman is a rancher and he's apparently really good at it. Uh, he has like degrees in animal husbandry and things like that. He's supposed to be, he's he's quite educated. He has very high standards for a rancher. So he's not like a guy who who's, you know, he's he's not a guy who's um doesn't know what he's doing. He's he's very competent, very well educated in his field of study and he has very high standards for his ranch. You know, all ranchers expect to lose a certain number of head of livestock uh, over the course of time to various causes and his normal rate and his expectation was much lower, a much lower percent of livestock loss than most ranchers experience. So he's a really competent guy. Who is NIDS, this other organization yeah. that does the science examination? So NIDS stands for the National Institute for Discovery Science. And it's a it was a foundation that was started in the 1990s by Bob Bigelow. Bob Bigelow is an American billionaire who made his fortune in the aerospace industry. And it's one of uh, NIDS was one of a number of organizations and foundations that he started. Another one is called BASS, uh, the Bigelow Advanced Aerospace uh, Space Studies Program, which also deals with like UFO phenomenon. That's what NIDS was supposed to do. Also, it was going to look into these kind of areas on the fringes of science. I tempted to say fringe science, but that could be a little misleading. Explore the fringe of science is what they were trying to do. And so uh, when they learned about uh, the phenomena that were being reported at uh, Skinwalker Ranch, they looked into it and concluded there was enough there 
that it was worth investigating. So they brought the they bought the property from the Shermans, and uh, Terry Sherman stayed on. They the Shermans then bought a nearby ranch about twenty five miles away. They moved most of their livestock there. Uh, Nids brought in its own livestock because there were some phenomena connected with the livestock they wanted to study. So they brought in their own livestock. Uh, Mr. Sherman left some of his livestock there, and then he stayed on as the ranch manager uh, because, you know, you have all these scientists, they're physicists and biochemists and things like that. They're not skilled at running a ranch, but Sherman is. So he he stays there and becomes an employee in addition to working for himself on his own ranch. He also works for NIDS as their ranch manager. So he's putting in really long days. I can imagine. So what were the results of this of the NIDS investigation? Well, one of the things that that happened right when NIDS started to to study the property is they had a debate about what approach should we take, you know, because you can do different things. What Sherman told them apparently repeatedly and forcefully was you need to go in quietly. If you make too much of a disturbance, it's it's going to scare off what's doing this. And they they didn't heed that advice. They they said, nah, let's go in and put up all kinds of cameras and all kinds of sensors and, you know, all kinds of new things on the property to help us study this. So they went big. And what Sherman predicted would happen did happen. They did get some phenomena, but not at the same level. It it dropped off and um, and it would there would be outbursts. You know, every few months it would flare up and a bunch of new stuff would start happening. But the weird thing is the phenomena that they were able to record and study wasn't repeatable. They, it's like one kind of phenomena w- phenomenon would appear and then it would vanish. And the next time it would be a different phenomenon would happen and then it would vanish. And then a third one would happen and it would vanish. And so they didn't get the recurring stuff that that uh, that the Shermans had experienced. And so that impeded their ability to uh, get repeatable results, which they could publish in scientific journals. And they it, it, one of the lead investigator, a guy named Colm Kelleher, who was one of the co-authors of Hunt for the Skinwalker. So it's actually co-authored by one of the scientists doing the investigation, along with a Las Vegas journalist named uh, George Knapp. Um, in Hunt for the Skinwalker, uh, Kelleher says, you know, we very well may have taken the wrong approach. Instead of going in big, uh, we may we we may well have needed to take a much subtler, quieter approach and perhaps even try to engage the phenomena rather than simply study it. Um, so over time, the phenomena trailed off and eventually they sold the property to another group, but on the condition that the new group will continue to study what happens there. And so who is, who are the new owners who who took over in 2016? Well, we don't know a huge amount. Um, the company that owns it is called Adamantium Real Estate. <laughs> and, and it's like a supervillain name. <laughs> well, yeah, or superhero. I mean, one or the other, because yeah. Wolverine and I think Sabretooth both have Adamantium. That's right. Um, but, uh, so maybe a comic book fan. Yeah. But yep. whoever, whoever owns it is a guy. We know that. And he's, 
quite rich. We know that. And he's very interested, like Bob Bigelow, he's very interested in this stuff. But uh, in the documentary, which we'll have a link to by Jeremy Corbell, um, he is the new owner is interviewed, but his face is not shown and his voice is disguised because he's not he's not willing to become public right now. I did a little bit of searching just out of curiosity, and I found conflicting accounts about who he may be. So I don't think it's known at this time exactly who owns adamantium real estate. We've been kind of cagey about what it is that's been going on there. So what kind of mysterious phenomena have been reported? A lot. And <laughs> we will not be covering them all because there's just too much. This podcast too many different kinds of things, too many different kinds of things. Yeah. So these are some representative things. We're going to talk more about each one of these categories, but we will not be covering all of the different kinds of things that have been reported at Skinwalker Ranch. To give you a taste, though, there are reported events involving weird animals, animals that do not normally exist or that are not known to science. Um, unseen events, things happening that are strange when people are not looking. Invisible things, even when people are there and are looking, things that seem to be invisible seem to be affecting the environment. Mental events, mental impressions, including verbal communication. Um, aircraft related events, things in the sky. Orb-related events, uh, small flying spheres of light of different sizes and colors that do different things. Humanoid-related events. Uh, and don't think gray aliens, because it's not gray aliens, it's other stuff. Um, events involving domesticated animals. I mentioned the livestock and how some of them were connected with those. Also, uh, the, the dogs that the, uh, that the Shermans owned. And then events involving what appear to be portals to somewhere else. Whoa. Okay. I mean, I wish we could, I wish we could have uh, three hours. We could talk about all the different things. But let's let's dig into some of this. What what kind of weird animal events are we talking about? Okay. So the first one that occurred was actually when the family was first moving onto the ranch. They uh, had just bought it. It took them a while to move their stuff there. They brought some of their livestock onto the ranch and put it in a pen. And as they were standing outside, a giant wolf, like three times the size of a normal wolf, walks up to them from across the field. And this it's a it's a gray wolf, if I recall correctly, but it's huge and it seems totally friendly. It like comes up to them and it's friendly and they don't feel threatened by it for some reason that may be one of the mental phenomenon for a phenomena that we're going to talk about. But they don't feel threatened. It doesn't seem to be threatening. They pet it. It walks over to the corral where the livestock are one of the calves has like stuck its nose out through the through the bars and is watching the situation. Wolf calmly walks over to the calf, calf bites it on the nose and starts trying to drag the calf through the bars. So the uh, the Shermans, you know, leap to the defense of the calf and they are like kicking the wolf and hitting the wolf. And it's not letting go. And the calf, of course, is squealing like crazy. Um, the uh, uh, Terry 
Sherman says to his son, go get my uh, 357 out of the truck. And he does. And um, and they shoot the wolf and the wolf is not hurt. And uh, he says, go get this rifle. So they do that and they they manage to get the wolf away from the calf and they shoot it again and it blows a chunk of flesh off the wolf. But the wolf does not act like it's in pain and it starts loping away from them like it's, you know, not a big deal. What's just happened. And so they they don't know and they don't know this at this point, but wolves are not native to this part of Utah. The last wolf was sh- in this area was shot in 1929, and wolves were not reintroduced in the area until after this event. So is they should not be seeing a wolf here. And um, so, but they think, okay, there's a wolf on our property. It's attacked our livestock. We need to follow this thing. So they follow it. They track it through these trees into a clearing. They have it in sight for a good bit of time. But uh, then they lose track of it and they follow its tracks until the tracks vanish in the middle of a clearing. And there's nowhere like there's a stream nearby, but it's too far for the wolf to have leapt into. And it's like the tracks, the tracks just stop. And so they come back and they look at the chunk of flesh that they blew off of the wolf and it's still there, but it smells rotten. Like it had aged incredibly. And so that's their first weird animal encounter. <laughs> that is weird. It is, yeah, it is not their only weird animal encounter. Um, next, the um, I forget uh, what name she's called by her real name is Gwen. But uh, Mrs. Sherman is like coming back to the ranch in her car and she's got a little car, you know, fuel efficient type of thing. It's not a big pickup. She's got a little car. It's about four feet tall. And at the edge of the property, she encounters another giant wolf and a weird looking black dog. And the the black dog has like a giant head for a dog. The head is too big. And the wolf is taller than the car. It like it it's the car is at least like four feet tall. And the wolf has to lower its head to breathe on her on her window. <laughs> And so she has this encounter with these two unusual canine animals much later. And this is, if I recall correctly, during the NIDS period. Um, so uh, Sherman kept horses on on the ranch here because he would need at times to go out as ranch manager and deal with the livestock. And he didn't want to go to his own ranch 25 miles away to get his horses. So he had some horses here. And <clears throat> one day he and Gwen are driving up to the ranch and they see this commotion happening in the horse pen and they think it's a dog has gotten in there and is you know uh worrying the horses it's running around having fun and scaring the horses and the horses are going crazy and they're stirring up all kinds of dust and stuff and so he's like ready to you know discipline this dog but as they get close and they have dogs on the ranch too and he thinks it's thinks it's one of them well, as they get closer, Gwen says, that's no dog. And as they look, it isn't a dog. It looks like kind of like a hyena, except it has a huge fox-like tail and a head like a dog and boar-like legs, and it's red. 
the fur is red. So it's like a giant red sort of hyena that's in there. They estimate it would have weighed around 200 pounds. It's so big and it's harassing the horses. So they chase it out of there and they aren't able to catch it. And they, I believe they see it on other occasions as well. There are, there are also instances where they found like weird little red tropical looking birds that aren't native to the area or weird spiders that would appear and then vanish after a few weeks. So there's some other things too, but those are some of the major weird animal encounters. Okay. So, so those are the weird animals. Uh, then you talk, you talk about unseen events. What do you, what kind of yeah. unseen events were there? So, um, so Mrs. Sherman would come home with groceries and put them away in the cupboards and then she'd go do something else and come back and the groceries are back in the bags. So it's like they've been unpacked from the shelves and put back in the bags. It qualifies as weird. <laughs> yeah, she she would um, be cooking, have like a spatula that she's cooking with, and then she reaches for the spatula and it's gone and they later find it in the freezer. Um, they would find, and this apparently happened numerous times, the salt and the pepper would get switched in what shakers they're in. Uh, sometimes she would be in the bathroom taking a shower and she would lock the bathroom for privacy, you know, so people don't barge in on her while she's taking a shower. You know, you have kids, you don't want to barge in while mom is in the shower. Yep. In there. And <laughs> yeah. And, and she would come out of the shower and her towel and hairbrush that she had laid there would be missing. So she started to have you know, stuff being moved around while she's not looking. So did Terry Sherman. Um, he like ha he would be working on the fences at the ranch and his pliers would vanish. Um, one of the biggest things that happened, he came home one night demanding to know who had taken his post hole digger that he had been using. Now, post hole digger, it's one of those things you uh, it's it, it's kind of like a pair of scissors that you use, it's got big, huge handles. You stick it into the ground and pull the handles apart and it grabs a chunk of dirt and you pull it up. And that's how you make a post holes. Um, and so he was out working on the fences with his post hole digger and it vanished. And they didn't find it for, I think, a couple of weeks when they did find it. And this thing weighs 70 pounds. OK, that's how much the post hole digger weighs. They find it 20 feet up in a tree. Somehow, the 70-pound post hole digger gets 20 feet up in a tree, and they have no idea how. They also would notice circular holes cut out of the ground, like a big circular cookie cutter uh, had just, you know, stamped into the ground there. These holes would be about a foot deep and several feet across, and the NIDS people estimated that, that it would have been two to 300 pounds of dirt got moved, just stamped out of the ground. Um, when no one was looking. Uh, then when NIDS came in, they had mysterious uh, unseen events happening to them as well. They had brought a bunch of dogs onto the property and put them in enclosures. They were using the dogs as biosensors, you know, because dogs have different range of senses than we do. And so they were using the dogs uh, for those purposes, and they'd have them in these pens when they weren't working them. And the dogs would mysteriously be let out of their pens when no one was looking repeatedly. Um, also, they wired up. I mentioned they put up a bunch of cameras and to monitor what's happening on the property. Well, OK, three cameras were on this one pole and they had both power leads and video leads going up to the cameras, which were wrapped in duct tape. 
and the, and they then the duct tape wrapped cables would come all the way down the side of the pole that the three cameras are on and and go into their housing in the ground so so then there would be power and, and video feed would be transmitted elsewhere underground well <clears throat> so one night at 8:30 p.m. within a few seconds or minutes of each other all three of these cameras fail and when they go out to investigate the wire has been ripped out of the cameras and all of the duct tape has been undone and is gone they never find the duct tape someone unwraps all of that duct tape which had been like it was stiff and brittle at this point because it had been in the elements you know for all this time and someone took the trouble to unwrap all that stuff and then take the take the duct tape with them so they think, okay, um, this happened at 8.30 at night, and it was in the summer, as I recall, and there was enough light that they should have been able to see anyone who messed with these cameras on other cameras that they had. So they check the video feed from the other cameras, and yes, they can see the, they can see the pole with the with the cameras on it, they can see the cows munching in the field. And at 830, nothing happens. Nobody comes up and yanks the cables out of the cameras. And they do some video processing to get a closer, you know, sharpened view of these cameras. And at 830, within a few seconds or minutes of each other, they see the on light on each of these cameras wink out without anybody messing with the cameras. The cameras just cease working and their 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 on light turns off for each camera. And that's all they know about this event. So something un something unseen happens here to these the, cameras. The other cameras don't show what the moment like maybe a later moment when the wires get pulled out and again unwrapped. No. They nope. never they, record they, that. They they don't record that. Presumably that happened after it got dark. All that the camera shows, all that the other camera shows is cows continuing to munch in the background. So uh, more unseen things. What kind of invisible things are like things that seem to be present, but you can't see? Yeah. So after the phenomena started happening, a guy showed up on the property and the Sherman was initially skeptical of this guy. But the guy shows up and he says, look, I, I don't want to cause a problem. But I think there's something spiritual happening here. I want to meditate. Will you please let me meditate on your property? And Sherman is reluctant, but he ends up letting the guy meditate. So he and his son, who is with him, take the guy, you know, onto the property to a to a field or a clearing or something, and they let the guy meditate. And the guy, you know, spreads out his arms and is meditating and and then and and Sherman and his son are privately laughing at this guy. They think this is really silly. And then something blurry that they can't fully see starts hurtling towards this guy across the field. It's like a blurred visual distortion and it's like and it's making a sound like an animal roaring. And it gets up to this guy and stops and just roars in his face. And they can see there's something there, but they can't see clearly what it is. Um, the guy, of course, is scared out of his wits. And <laughs> like, you know, they get him off the property and stuff. Um, and But uh, then months later, 
they're watching the movie Predator with Arnold Schwarzenegger, which features an alien hunter with a camouflage visual distortion effect. And they've never seen this movie before. And Sherman and his son say, that's what we saw. It's like the Predator effect in the wow. movie Predator. <laughs> so um, so that's one invis- invisible instance. Another where something, see, if according to the report, and I'm not saying any of this is true. I'm just saying this is what's reported. They saw, so they have these canals on their on their property, on the ranch that are sometimes filled with water. And they saw something invisible splashing like it was running through the canal. And they could see the water splashing, but they didn't see what was causing the splashing. It just, it looked like something is running through the water. All right. So invisible, unseen events, weird animal events. What, what about mental events? Okay, so um, in hindsight, they it's like, why were we so calm when that giant wolf was around? <laughs> yeah. And why was the wolf so calm? It's, it's like, could there be some kind of emotional manipulation happening here? And that's not the only incidents of feeling inappropriate emotions that they had. Um, another was they noticed both they and the animals experienced an abnormal level of panic whenever these blue orbs showed up. And we'll talk about the blue orbs more later. Um, but basically, they don't know why, but just what and not not other orbs, just the blue ones. When the blue ones would show up, they and the animals would would feel panic, uh, even though they couldn't attribute that to any particular thing. Um, it seemed like also the phenomena could at times predict what the Shermans and the NID scientists were going to do. Like it, it, it knew what they were going to do before they did it, but not always, because on some occasions, uh, Sherman would see a phenomenon and be able to hide from it, like in a hay bale or something like that. Um, so it seems like uh, it seems like it's kind of like their minds were being read at some points, but not other times. The most direct report of a mental phenomenon occurred in the NIDS phase. The NIDS scientists were there and they were out at night and they were watching something that they could see in the trees. They couldn't see it clearly. There's some kind of black thing, a black shape in the trees. And uh, Kelleher is there. He's the head scientist. And the physicist who's with him says, it's got me. It's saying, we are watching you. So the physicist had what he felt like was a telepathic message from the thing they were they were looking at in the trees. Hmm. And then you said there were aircraft related events. Yeah. So there were several different types of aircraft that they saw. Um, One of the first ones, they thought it was an RV at first. So it had a kind of rectangular refrigerator like structure um, with lights on the front and the back. And they thought it was an RV that someone had driven onto their property. They thought somebody was trespassing because they were seeing it at ground level. And so Sherman said, "Okay, we're going to tell these people to get off our property. They started going towards it and it started it started moving away from them and it would leap over fences. And they realized this is not an RV. And eventually (laughs) it's eventually it sails off up into the sky. And this is similar to a, 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 a reported 
kind of craft from Brazil. Um, a number of years ago, there were sightings of what the locals would call chupas in Brazil that were basically this kind of box-like, refrigerator-like, RV-like craft with lights. And they had some encounters with humans that were studied by the famous French ufologist uh, Jacques Vallée. And these were fatal encounters. People died as a result of encounters with chupas. So we may talk about them in a future episode. But this thing that the Shermans were seeing was like a chupa. Um, they also, on another occasion, saw what looked like a small 30 to 40 foot long stealth plane. So, you know, black, kind of shaped like a, a stealth plane, but not exactly the same. The weird thing is it's hovering 20 feet off the ground and it's silent and it's projecting lights of different colors down onto the snow. So it's like sitting there in the sky, hovering, doing a light show for them. On another on another occasion, they saw a black triangle, which, again, could be a kind of stealth craft, but they see a black triangle. So those were some of the aircraft they saw. All right. And then the you mentioned the blue orbs. Uh, what kind of orb related events were, did they see? Well, they saw several different kinds of orbs. Some of them. So an orb is like a floating sphere and uh, it and they would see yellow ones that would like fly a six, 360 degree circle over them and then zoom off really fast. And they weren't making a noise, you know, so it's not like a drone. You hear the noise of its propellers. They would see very small golf ball sized red red orbs that would fly around. Um, when the NIDS guys got there, they were taking um, infrared uh, footage at night and they saw orbs that registered in infrared on film that they were filming with, but that you couldn't see with your eyes. So they were infrared colored orbs. And then the kind of the worst orbs were the blue ones. Um, they got a good look at these. They said there were two to three size, two to three times the size of a baseball. So maybe softball size or a little bigger or grapefruit size or a little smaller. They were clear and had they looked like a glass or plastic shell with blue liquid inside that looked like it was beginning to boil. And so and they and so they got a really clear look at these things. It wasn't just like a light in the sky. It's like this is a physical object. And it they made a crackling sound like static electricity. They would feel an abnormal amount of fear in the presence of the blue orbs as the blue orbs would go past their house. If they were inside, you know, they'd see the orb out through the window. Their lights inside would dim like the orb is interfering with the house electrical system. Um, the orbs also would taunt the animals and like their horses or their livestock or their dogs. And the panic feeling around the orbs was so intense that uh, that Gwen Sherman wanted to leave once they, she said, we've got to get out of here. We've got to sell this place. Um, so that she, uh, Terry was not yet ready to do that. But it was after the blue orbs that she decided she really wanted to get out of here. Then we also had humanoid related events. Yeah. So um, once uh, Gwen is alone at home and she sees outside one of the RV like Shupa things, but it's close enough. She can see inside of it and she sees through a window in it. And there's like a desk in there with a guy 
in a black uniform with a helmet or visor on his head sitting at the desk. And when he stands up, he's like seven feet tall. So looks like a seven foot tall guy in a black uniform with a black motorcycle helmet or something on his head. All right. There, there's also a humanoid event connected with with one of the portal events, which we'll talk about in a minute. And then uh, you mentioned domesticated animal events. Yeah. So um, so over the course of time, Tom or Terry lost 14 of his 80 cows. So that's 18 percent of them. That's almost a fifth. This was economically devastating because each cow is like two thousand dollars or more. So that's like $30,000 loss of livestock there. Um, Sometimes the cattle would just disappear. Uh, He recounts one incident where he's out riding his horse. There's snow on the ground. He's following the tracks of a cow. And this cow would have like weighed a thousand pounds. It's an adult. And he can tell by the hoof prints in the snow, it's running. So it's which is not normal for what cows do in snowstorms, but it's it's running in a snowstorm and all of a sudden the tracks stop like the wolf tracks did. Yeah. And there's nowhere the cow could have gone if, you know, the tra- he would have seen where where it went because there's snow all over the ground. And so he's going like, what, did an aircraft come along and pick up this thousand pound cow while it was running? You know, he's he's like, what could do that? I mean, not even helicopters, typical helicopters couldn't lift that much weight. Um, And and um, even so, how would you get the cow in the middle of running? Well, one theory that gets proposed is maybe it didn't get picked up. Maybe it ran through one of the portals we're going to talk about in a minute. But some of the cows just disappeared and he never he never learned what happened to them. Other cows were mutilated. Um, so animal mutilation comes in at this point, uh, and, and this is a phenomenon that is talked about here in the Southwest and the Western United States. Ranchers are familiar with this. You will find an animal dead in really weird circumstances where it doesn't. It, it's not predators, you know. It, it, predators leave bite marks and claw marks and things like that. Um, and they leave blood all over the place. Um, and so you'll find animals that don't fit that profile. You'll They'll be like drained of blood. They will have certain organs cut out, frequently the eyes, the tongue, the rectum and the reproductive system, sometimes other stuff. Um, and they'll be like cauterized and they'll be cut with surgical precision. Like this would have taken a knife or a laser. There's no way an animal just biting and tearing would be able to do this. So so cattle mutilations start happening on the ranch, and they happen in these weird circumstances. Uh, once, Tom and his son are out riding, taking care of livestock, and they see a heifer that's down in a muddy canal. And there's a little water in the canal, but not a lot. The heifer's down there. The heifer is distressed. It's bellowing. It doesn't want to be in the canal, but they have something else they have to attend to first. And so they go to deal with that. And then Tom's son comes back and 20 minutes later, and the heifer is dead. And the heifer has had its rear end carved out. So within 20 minutes, something killed this heifer and carved it up. Okay. Without without them seeing it. Um, 
multiple times when they would find an animal mutilated, they would see lights like orbs beforehand, the night beforehand, and they would seem to happen a lot in thunderstorms um, for some reason, which could bring to mind ball lightning. But then how does ball lightning cause animal mutilations? Um, in one instance, they they had a really strong chemical smell and a brown liquid that they found on the animal after it had been mutilated. And they went back to get this was, I believe, just Tom himself at this time. He went back to get a jar to take a sample of the brown liquid, but it evaporated before he could get back. He couldn't couldn't get a sample. Um, one instance that happens and you'll see this in the documentary Hunt for the Skinwalker. They have footage of this is of uh, the aftermath of an incident involving a black Angus calf. Uh, at the time, Terry and his wife were out tagging their new calves. So you like, you're putting a tag through one of their ears. It's the modern equivalent of branding um, as an identifying mark and a mark of ownership. So they're out tagging these calves, and they tag this one black Angus calf, and then they move off into the field um, the calf weighs about 84 pounds at this point. They move off in the field to tag other calves. 40 minutes later, within eyeshot of the original calf they tag, they look back and the calf is dead. And it's been exsanguinated. It doesn't have blood around. And it's been cut up. Of its 84 pounds, 40 of them are missing. And so they got nids out here, to, and they're just within eyesight. They're just a few hundred feet off tagging other calves. And when this, when all this goes down, and um, and the calf has been like ripped apart, its its legs have been pulled out of the sockets. Most of the middle of the body is gone. In um, in the in the footage that they have in the documentary, it looks like okay, you've got a head and some forelegs and some hind legs, and you've got a spine in the middle, and the rest of the body is gone. Also, the ear that they tagged has been cut off with surgical precision. It's like knife sliced through the ear or something. Um, so, so, you know, so this really weird thing happens. They have bunches of these uh, cattle mutilations. Also, they had a weird event where, and this is another one that can go under the mental phenomenon or phenomena. Uh, Terry and his wife are driving up to the ranch at one point, and they're driving past this corral where they have these like four prize bulls. This is during the NIDS phase, so they have some follow up on this scientifically. Um, they're driving past the the corral, and Gwen says to Terry, "Boy, it would be really awful if we lost those bulls." Not like they haven't just recently lost other animals, you know, but these are these are their prize animals. And so they they go about their business. And then 45 minutes later, they drive back past the corral. The bulls are not in it. And so they stop and they look for the bulls. Well, there happens to be a metal trailer next to the corral. And somehow the bulls have gotten into the metal trailer which is way too small for them. And, you know, they don't like being scrunched up together. So they should be panicking if they're in this confined space in this trailer. And, 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 but they're just standing there like they're hypnotized or something. And then as soon as, as soon as uh, Sherman makes a noise, the bulls then wake up and panic. And, um, and since Nid was there, uh, Nids was there, they, um, they did some follow up on this and they found 
that the metal bars of the corral had been highly magnetized and they remained magnetic for 48 hours. And then the magnetism faded away. Wow. There's another instance where, and this, this one also goes with the invisible phenomena. Uh, there's another instance where there were a bunch of cows stampeding and they, and they like separated around into two groups around something that could not be seen. But the thing that could not be seen was a magnetic anomaly that they tracked with a compass as it moved for like 11 minutes. The compass pointed at it instead of at north. At, at, at north, at the anomaly instead of right. at north. And then it moved and they could follow it for like 11 minutes. Um, then there's the event that finally convinced Tom. Now, this is before some of the NIDS events. There's the event that finally convinced Tom they needed to sell the ranch. Um, he was out with his dogs one night and um, he had these three dogs. They were really great. They did. They loved the family. They were protective of the family. They were good guard dogs. They were good at herding the cattle. And the blue orbs show up and the blue orbs, as they often did, start taunting the animals. Um, the dogs are like snapping at the orb and um, and it's like raising up to where they can't get it, but then lowering down to where they could get it. And it's teasing them and it starts to lure them. Tom realizes or Terry realizes towards a grove of trees and the dogs go with the orb into the trees. And then he starts hearing the dogs screaming like they're in mortal agony. He decides not to go into the grove of trees immediately. Yeah, <laughs> um, I wouldn't either. <laughs> um, he waits till the next morning and he goes into the grove of trees and he finds three burned circles in the grass with the cremains of the dogs in the middle of the circles. Wow. So it's like this orb incinerated his dogs. And that's the moment he decides we've got to get out of here. Well, OK. And then uh, you mentioned a portal related events what, what yeah, were those I, I mentioned this last not because it's the most dramatic but because it's going to play a key role in possible interpretations um so at times tom would see or terry i keep calling him both because i've read the book but then i also know his real name um he sees this orange circle in the sky kind of like an orb except it gets bigger and it's it 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 grows and he would watch it. He'd see it a lot. He would sometimes watch it through a telescopic sight on his rifle. He would sometimes watch it through binoculars. It would get as big as the setting sun or the full moon. And sometimes it looked flattened or elongated, like a circle you're not seeing dead on, but at an angle. Once he saw blue sky through it. So it was like it was night. When he was seeing it and he sees the orange thing and it grows and in the center of it, he sees a blue sky. Um, he also on occasions would see it and it would look like a tunnel. But when you would go around like he would he, he would drive around the thing to see it from another angle and it would vanish. You'd see it from an angle and then from another angle. Um, you would you would see maybe a little bit of light in the sky as, but you wouldn't see the full thing, and so he determined that it was really just from the perspective of the ranch house that you could look straight down this thing. 
And sometimes he would see a black triangle or another black object come zooming out of it really fast. Um, so it was like a tunnel or portal to somewhere, according to him. Now, that's what he reported. Once NIDS gets there, the NIDS scientists are out at night and they're using night vision binoculars. And one of them sees not up in the sky, but down close to the ground, a little light that expands and turns into a tunnel and something that looks like a six foot long, 400 pound black humanoid comes crawling out of it and then goes scampering off into the wilderness. And that's all that there is to that encounter. They go looking and they can't find anything. Um, also, they noticed there was a pungent sulfur-like smell uh, associated with this one opening. So those are a range of the different major phenomena that have been reported at Skinwalker Ranch. Wow. Okay. So what are the theories that we have for this? Okay. Uh, first one, it's all a hoax. Okay. The, the Shermans were lying. Um, second one, it was hallucinations. Uh, third one, it's something supernatural. Fourth one, it's natural, and it has to do with some kind of secret military program. Uh, next one, it's natural, but it involves a parallel world, either in another dimension or another planet or another time. Okay. And lastly, it's some combination of the above. So those are the theories. All right. <laughs> <laughs> this is perhaps the uh, the creepiest episode we've done yet so far. Before you, we get, you see, you see why I wanted to do this episode. Yeah, just the sheer volume of weirdness here. Yes, and and we know where we're going long, folks. So uh, we we appreciate your patience as as you listen. Uh, the the benefit of podcasts is you can pause it and come back to it later. Uh, before we get to the the perspectives and sort of digging into these things, I just want to take a moment to. To thank our patrons, the this, you know they they help select the pro the this topic, but they also provide the support that lets us do this this podcast. And so we wanted to thank them to for making this possible. And today we're going to thank by name uh, this week Joseph L, Luis D, Michael C, Charles W, and Scott H. Uh, through their donations at sqpn.com/slash/give, they make it possible for us to continue to bring you. Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World and these amazing stories, uh, but also all the shows that we do at sqpn.com. We have a variety of shows that we hope you'll check out. So and if you want to help support the this podcast and all of our podcasts and help bring more of these uh, interesting stories to light, uh, you could do so by going to sqpn.com slash give. And for that, we appreciate you uh, doing that. So, uh, Jimmy, the, the, the we have the, the this background, these, these theories. Uh, so, how about a, a, the, we, we examine the faith perspective first? What about the yeah. faith perspective? So, one of the things that um, that a lot of people may think of is, okay, so they had this weird kind of poltergeist-like phenomena happening around the house where objects would vanish and reappear elsewhere. The groceries that had been unpacked would get repacked. That sounds kind of like a poltergeist, which sounds like it might be a demon. And then in the last of the tunnel incidents I mentioned, there's this sulfur smell, and you see this black humanoid thing wriggling out of the tunnel and go running off in the night through the night vision goggles. Um, well, could it be demons? Sure, it could be, but 
demons don't normally leave physical traces like this. And a lot of the things that they saw looked like hardware, like the RV aircraft and the other aircraft and even the blue orbs. Um, NIDS got a lot of this, uh, a lot of this, uh, some of this anyway, on, on, we're able to record some of it. And we don't have a sense of like, if it's demons, what are the demons trying to do here? Demons want to lead you away from God. That doesn't seem to have been part of part of what was happening here. There really wasn't any discussion. I mean, they were these are fallen away Mormons. They're not really practicing their faith already, and um, and they're not led further away from it by what happens. So since we don't have like a possession with a demon taking credit for this stuff, it's kind of hard to pin this on demons, given all the technology that seems to be associated with this stuff. That doesn't seem to be the most likely explanation. Then let's approach it from the reason perspective. What 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 do you have? You mentioned that the, one of the theories is a hoax. Yeah. So, and this is something they talk about in Hunt for in the book Hunt for the Skinwalker. Uh, Calm Callaher is very straightforward about this. A lot of people, especially folks who are more skeptical, are gonna. This is gonna be their first thing. It's like okay, a lot of this happened before Nids got there. It dropped off noticeably once Nids did get there. Maybe this was all a hoax on the part of the Shermans. Uh, maybe they lied about what happened before they got there. Maybe they wanted to sell the land for financial reasons or something. And this was their story. Um, and then uh, then they hoaxed a little bit of stuff after Nids got there. Okay, so possible. Um, number of counterpoints. They didn't invent the reputation this land had. It already had that reputation. It was already known as in, being in the path of the Skinwalker way before they got there. They didn't cause all the UFO sightings in the area in the Uinta Basin in the 60s and 70s. And, and I we really didn't mention this for reasons of time, although we kind of alluded to it, this is not the only place in Uinta County where weird stuff happens. This is just the epicenter. Other other ranches and places in the area have weird stuff like this, just not as much. And the Shermans didn't invent all that. Also, they didn't seek publicity on this. They 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 did it once when they were looking to get out of the property. But then they had a, they made a lateral trade. They just moved 25 miles away. They bought another ranch. So they they didn't like get rich out of this or get out of you know, um, a big debt from what I've been able to tell. They they traded one ranch for another and in the same region. Um, also, the stuff did continue to happen in the NIDS period. And you could say, well, maybe maybe Terry Sherman hoaxed that somehow. But then how did he do it? Right. Right. Some of that you stuff know. is hard to explain. How how does yeah. how does Terry Sherman create something you can in infrared orbs you can see on infrared cameras, but not with your eyes. How does he uh, create a magnetic anomaly you can track for 11 minutes with a compass? How does he um, create a tunnel that you can see through night vision goggles that something wriggles out of and runs off? He's a talented ranger, but he's not, you know, not a special effects wizard. (laughs) Right, right. Okay. So then you mentioned possible hallucinations. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, hallucinations could explain any individual thing. 
because people, you know, we have dream centers in our brains that produce dreams. And sometimes we have a malfunction where we start dreaming when we're awake and we hallucinate. Um, okay. Normally that happens in people who have other forms of mental illness. And so far as it's been as indicated by Humphrey the Skinwalker, the Shermans don't have a history of mental illness. Also, hallucinations can be induced by things like infrasound or hallucinogens in the environment. NIDS checked for those, and they could not find any evidence of infrasound or phenomena or hallucinogens in the environment. Also, there doesn't appear to be any such thing as a collective hallucination where you have multiple people hallucinating the same thing at the same time. But multiple of these events were seen by groups of people, including the NIDS scientists, which then brings us to NIDS has physical and video evidence that they took that you can't just say, well, they were hallucinating this. It's on film or they have it in their readings. They measured the magnetization of these bars and how it dropped off over the next two days. Um, some of the things that NIDS reported, like the mental phenomena, like the telepathic message the physicist study got, okay, that could be that could be a hallucination. All of the mental stuff, you know, we felt abnormally calm, we felt abnormally scared, you know, all of that you could kind of dismiss, but not everything goes in that category. And the stuff they got physical records of is harder to dismiss as hallucinatory. And then uh, the another possible explanation was the military being involved. Yeah, and Sherman, this was actually his first thought. He thought the military is here and they're doing something. They're messing with us for some reason. Um, so actually, some of the people involved took this quite seriously, and NIDS checked it out too. Um, they weren't able to find any evidence that our military was doing this, though. Um, you might say, well, why would the military want to do this to someone? One proposal that you might call the Scooby-Doo hypothesis. It's the, <laughs> the classic thing that happens in Scooby-Doo. Someone wants to buy someone else's property, and so they hoax weird stuff to drive the price down or to get someone to abandon their property. So maybe the military is doing a Scooby-Doo on the Shermans because they want the land. Problem is, why don't they just use eminent domain? There are lots of other situations where the government wants land and they just take it. They compensate you, but they take it. Um, this happened. This is notorious for happening around Area 51. Out in Nevada, there was a family. There was actually more than one, but there was a family that had a mining interest on the edge of Area 51. They'd been working this mine for like 100 years in their family or something. Area 51 starts expanding, decides the mine is too close. They don't want these people looking at them. They take the land. And so the government, if the military just wanted this, wanted Skinwalker Ranch, they could have taken it through pr presumably any number of legal or quasi-legal means, including eminent domain. Plus, again, the long game, this isn't just the, during the 18 months of the government's owned this property. There's a long history in this location of the right. phenomena. Okay. Right. Um, now, another reason that the government might want to do this is because they're doing an experiment. Maybe they're they're experimenting on the Shermans with all this stuff they're doing. How plausible is that? Well, it's 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 somewhat. I mean, there's an initial surface level plausibility. We do know the government has experimented on people without their knowledge or consent, um, and we're going to be talking about that in future episodes. We're going to be talking about, for example, the MK Ultra project, 
that the CIA ran that experimented on people. There are others as well, including medical experiments like the Tuskegee syphilis experiment, where the government pretended to treat black men with syphilis and didn't uh, to see what would happen. And that ran from 1932 to 1972. So within 20 years or so of, of these events, we, already, we know the government was also experimenting on people without their consent. Um, so there is a surface level of plausibility, but here we've got a really small sample size. There's just this one family. Um, and, and, and what are you trying to do as a result of this experiment? What's the point? What are you trying to prove? It's not like you're testing truth serums on these people, like MKUltra, where you have a definable goal. This is more like just messing with people. Now, you could say, well, it's a deception of some kind. Maybe it's part of UFO disinformation. And we know there are other cases, and we'll talk about these like the Richard Benowitz case, where the military has hoaxed UFO stuff to throw people off the trail of actual classified projects. Maybe that's going on here. Okay, well, then if it's just UFO disinformation, why not hoax a few UFOs? Why the whole range of stuff? That's happening. And then kind of lastly, if the military, if our military is responsible, how did they do all this <laughs> in the 90s? Yeah. I mean, do we have this technology that could make things invisible and and, you know, make blue orbs capable of incinerating dogs or tunnels in the sky or, you know, what what technology exactly did we have in the 90s that could do this or today? <laughs> or today for some of that. Yeah. Although at least today we have an idea how we could do invisibility one day through meta materials, but it's not there yet. And then there was, a, you mentioned the parallel world theory. Yeah. So, um, you know, if you say, I mean, you have kind of a ch basic choice of if you say the reported phenomena, not in all the details, but they're either basically correct. The accounts of all this stuff is either basically correct or basically incorrect. If it's basically correct, what best explains this? It seems to me the answer would be some kind of bridge to another world, either a parallel world in another dimension or another planet or this planet in another time um, or some combination of those. But um, the portals that they encountered if those accounts are accurate, you could explain a lot of these other phenomena based on that. You can explain the unseen events based on the fact that you have um, you have somebody, perhaps someone else's military or our military in the future with a with invisibility technology. You can explain the advanced aircraft with uh, it, with the advanced technology. You could explain the orbs with advanced technology from another place. You could explain the weird animals as coming from another place. Um, so it seems to me that the the, the portal-like experiences really let you explain a lot of this if you think those are credible. If you don't think they're credible, then you have to look for another explanation, like a hoax or a hallucination or a military experiment or something. But just to consider every possibility, if the portal experiences are credible, then my bet would be it's a bridge to another world. And I, specifically, since it seems earthly, 
It's got a blue sky. It has animals that are similar to ours, but different. Um, I would think either our future or um, a parallel Earth. So um, just taking and I'm not believe me, I'm not saying that's what this is. I'm just saying if you take the claims at face value, that is what they would seem to point to. So that brings us to the last one, which is, well, could it be some combination of these things? And the answer is sure. Maybe some things were hoaxed. Maybe some things were hallucinations. You know, the mental phenomena, I've already said, those could all just be subjective misimpressions. Maybe the military was messing with people. Maybe, you know, it could be a combination of things. But simpler explanations are the ones to be preferred. And if you have a range of of weird phenomena in a single place, in a single time frame, rather than postulating multiple causes, you want to consider, is there one cause that could explain all of it? So, Jimmy, what is your bottom line when it comes to all of this? I have no clue. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's, I mean, you know, the skeptic in me wants to say, just dismiss the whole thing as hoax or hallucination or military disinformation. Um, but it's hard to see how our military could do all of this. And it, it, it's hard to dismiss it all as hoax or hallucination because NIDS got, you know, not a lot, but they got some of this on record. They took readings, they took video and, and something was happening. You'd have to, um, you'd have to have the, the, the Gormans, NIDS, possibly the military, all these people in on the hoax together. Yeah. And for what purpose? It, for what purpose? So I do not know what's going on at Skinwalker Ranch or what has been going on. Uh, I as a surface reading of the evidence, at least as of the reports, would suggest parallel world involvement. But I, it's also really hard for me to say, oh, there's a parallel world and it's been breaking through at Skinwalker <laughs> Ranch. Ooh, that's. In some ways, a, a a solid conclusion from you, Jimmy, would be would be reassuring. Uh, but yeah. in some ways, uh, <laughs> having it open ended is also very interesting and uh, allows for lots of speculation. So, if folks wanted to dig into this for themselves and to find out more, uh, what are what are your further resources that you'd like to offer? So, we have links to Wikipedia's entries on Skinwalker Ranch and on NIDS. Uh, we'll have a link to the book Hunt for the Skinwalker, which, as I said, is by Com Kelleher and George Knapp. So it's it's the most reputable book that there's going to be on this. There are other books, but these guys were pros who were involved in the situation. Um, also, there's the Jeremy Corbell documentary, also called Hunt for the Skinwalker, where you get to see some old reports of George Knapp's reporting on on Skinwalker Ranch back in the 90s, as well as interviews with the NID scientists and a discussion of what's happening today, including a kind of disguised interview with the current owner. Um, have a link to the original Deseret or Deseret News article. Uh, where the Gormans or the Shermans went public about this. There's also an amateur investigator site uh, at skinwalkerranch.org that I'll have a link to. And then lastly, a Google Maps aerial view of Skinwalker Ranch. So you can look at the place on Google Maps uh, from their satellite perspective. That's that's Skinwalker Ranch, folks. Uh, Before we close out, of course, we want to do as you usually do. We want to go through some of your uh, mysterious feedback. Um, and so our first bit of feedback comes from the uh, Akhenaten episode. Paul writes on Facebook, this was a fascinating listen. Looking forward to further podcasts on ancient Egypt, 
History is amazing. I agree. History is awesome. It's history is stories and stories are awesome. And uh, I like stories about ancient Egypt. I Egypt is a fascinating and mysterious place. And in the not too distant future, we're going to be we will have more Egypt episodes, including next up is going to be King Tut's murder. Mm. And the King Tut murder theory. <laughs> All right. And then the Claire Cappenham writes on YouTube. Please do a full episode on the chronology of Joseph Moses in Egypt. I saw a documentary that suggested 1450 was a better date for the Exodus than the later date, but I don't know how to judge the quality of the scholarship. I'd love to get Jimmy's take. So what Claire is referring to is the date that the Exodus would have occurred, and there is a difference of scholarly opinion. Of course, skeptical scholars may say, oh, there never was an Exodus, but I think there was, and I think there's good reason to to think that. Um, the question is when it happened, and there are sort of two major camps. One group says it happened in the 1400s BC, another major group, and that's the traditional view, uh, um, another major group that's the more popular one today says it happened in the 1200s BC. Um, I actually love biblical chronology, but my main area of focus thus far has been New Testament chronology. I know that really well. Um, I'm presently doing research on Old Testament chronology, including the chronology of the Exodus. And so I hope to do deal with that in the future. Then Aaron Wood uh, writes on YouTube, an Exodus episode would be great. I know that there are many secular scholars who deny that the Exodus even happened at all. So I would love to get some more information about the history of this time. By the way, I favor the early date for Exodus. Uh-huh. And uh, as I mentioned, that is the traditional date, even if it's not the most popular one among scholars today. If you, uh, We will do an, an Exodus episode in the future. If you would like more information that I've written about it, Google Jimmy Aiken Exodus, and you'll come across some of the arguments for uh, why I think even from a skeptical perspective, we should conclude that, yes, the exodus did occur. You can't just dismiss it. Uh, and then we have a, another comment, but I'll, I'll let you read that and respond yeah. to it, Jimmy. So um, Leon Carruthers on YouTube had had made a comment on our astrology episode, and he had referenced some studies that suggested there were connections between life outcomes and the month you're born in. And I, in a previous episode dealing with his feedback, I said, well, I'm open to that, but I'd like to see these studies. Can you can you point me to some? So he did. Uh, he he uh, he linked a study from the United Kingdom and he, he says in his new comment, it's data mining, not an experiment per se, but it's relevant to the question of how birth month or at least season might affect the patterns of our lives, even including the amount of education we seek, which could in turn be a factor of birth month combined with when our culture starts formal education. And I know that because I have a birthday that's kind of right on the edge of, do we send him to school this year or wait till next year for first grade? Well, I took a look at the study and uh, it's, a, it's a UK study on season of birth, birth weight, pubertal timing, that is when you begin puberty, adult body size and educational attainment. And what they found is that uh, births, birth season does have an impact on some of these things. Uh, uh, quoting from part of the abstract, they said individuals born in summer, June, July, August, had a higher mean birth weight compared to those born in all other seasons. There is a general consensus that season of birth influences the risk of developing psychiatric conditions later in life. We aimed to investigate the, whether the risk of schizophrenia 
bipolar affective disorder and recurrent depressive disorder is influenced by month of birth in England to a similar extent as other countries. And they concluded that it was. Um, Now, I was particularly interested because astrology doesn't so much have to do with your height as it does your personality, at least as it's classically done. So I was particularly interested in um, the psychological aspects of this. So I found a further study from this one uh, that's on uh, seasonal distribution of psychiatric births in England. And according to the abstract for this one, our findings provide support for the fetal programming hypothesis refining and extending the impact that season of birth has on childhood growth and development. While other mechanisms may contribute to these associations, the findings are consistent with a possible role in u- with a possible role of in utero vitamin D exposure. So vitamin D is made by the skin in exposure to sunlight. That's why people from northern climates tend to be white because they need to absorb more sunlight to get the vitamin D out of it. And um, and so it, it, you could see how seasons would have, because they have, if you're in northern or very highly northern or very low southern latitudes, uh, you're going to have significantly more or less light in summer and winter that's going to affect the amount of vitamin D the mother is making, which is then going to affect the amount of vitamin D the unborn baby is exposed to. And that could then set up these other things, including birth weights and timing of puberty and height and potential psychiatric disorders. So we're not talking, and and uh, Leon Carruthers acknowledges this, we're not talking planets are doing this to you. It's not like the position of Jupiter is doing this. Um, This would be through mechanisms like the amount of heat and light that your mother is getting at the time you're in the womb. But it still does show that there can be some kind of seasonal correlations between when you're when you're born, your birth month and what some patterns in your life may be. So in Mysterious Headlines, we'll have links to both of those studies. So, folks, that's that's it from us uh, on um, this, this topic, these topics, actually, that's, that's almost like a whole nother second set of fascinating <laughs> information and mystery right there. Uh, you get two two of them in one show. So what did you think, though, about the mystery of Skinwalker Ranch? What's your theory? What do you think is really going on? Is it is it a hoax, a portal to another world? You'd let us know. Go to sqpn.com or uh, to the Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World Facebook page, and you can leave a comment on the show that's linked there. Uh, you can send us an email to mysterious at sqpn.com or send a tweet to our Twitter account at mys underscore world. Or you could use a, the hashtag on Twitter of uh, hashtag mysterious feedback. Um, any of those methods is a great way of getting in touch with us and letting us know, giving us your feedback on the show. Uh, please, if you can, um, this, is a, this is a great example, this episode of the sort of stuff we're doing that is unlike anything else out there, frankly, is that I've been able to find. Um, I mean, there are other shows that cover mysteries and that sort of stuff, but nothing like the way Jimmy does here. And so share the show with, with your friends. They're going to they're gonna love it. And there's such a variety of topics. There's something for everyone. So please share the podcast with your friends and write reviews on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. They all have ways of leaving reviews. 
That helps us grow our community of listeners, provides better feedback, gets it out to more folks, and even more resources. Sometimes people write in with sources for Jimmy to use when he does some of his investigations. Yeah, uh, like Leon did. Exactly. So, and, uh, and we also want to thank our patrons for voting Skinwalker Ranch and for voting Copper Skull last week. Yes, exactly. Uh, so please help us grow this community and help support the show um, and, and reach you more listeners. You can find links to all of the resources Jimmy mentioned in there from our discussion and links to those mysterious headlines on our show notes at sqpn.com slash mysterious. Until next time, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for exploring with us our mysterious world. Thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World on StarQuest.